0: Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more
1: billable hours.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your host, Lauren here.
1: And Brad Pobble, your co-host. Woo! Thank you. Thank you. Still still keeping up with the claps after the holiday break, I see.
2: <laughs> well, you know, I couldn't just stop. That would be
1: rude. We're going to have to switch it up. I'm going to clap for you next time.
2: Oh, thanks, Brad. I would totally do that. Um, so we're here today with Wendy Merrill. She is the Executive Vice President of Growth, Strategy, and Branding for DRI. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, so, Wendy, tell us a little bit about yourself and your position and your company and um, what excites you about the legal industry.
0: Oh my gosh, so many questions. I know, there uh, goes our whole episode, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I am really passionate about the next generation of leaders in the legal space. Mm-hmm. Um, so my current position, I'm, I, uh, as you mentioned, I'm an executive with DRI, which is the largest association of civil defense attorneys in the U.S. Uh, and some abroad as well. And I am in charge of marketing and publications and online strategy and um, and sponsorship partnership programs. So I have a very full plate, uh, and I love what I do. So um, I have been with DRI for about seven months now, mm-hmm. and before that, I actually DRI was my largest client. So I got to know them quite <laughs> well before I joined. They
2: loved you uh, so much; they had to have you. Yeah,
0: yeah, Uh, I think so. I hope so. Um, So I also have a consulting practice, which is how I found DRI, which I've been doing for about nine years called Strategy Horse Consulting Group. And it's all about coaching and speaking and uh, growth consulting uh, to help firms to develop their rising leaders, their younger attorneys to make sure that they're well prepared to steward the firms of the future. So that's a little bit about me. Um, and I also live. Uh, I live in Maryland, outside of Baltimore, uh, oh, just okay. south of the Pennsylvania border, uh, with my three kids, my husband, and I, I am a huge horse aficionado. Um, I ride a lot, and um, I also wrote my first book in 2019. Oh wow! Congratulations! That's awesome. Thank you. Which maybe we could talk about a little later. Which was really, really fun and a very cool experience to do. I bet. What's the name of your book? It's called Path to Impact: The Rising Leaders' Guide to Growing Smart.
1: Ooh, I like awesome. the title. Yeah, that's powerful. Thank you.
0: Thank you. It was a it was a labor of love, uh, but it was it was a really amazing experience. I highly recommend it to anybody who likes
2: to write. Awesome. So yeah, we'll definitely talk about that a little bit later. Um, Let's dive in though. So we wanted to talk about, you mentioned earlier, the current state of the law firm model. Um, And, you know, I was actually doing some research the other day because we have our upcoming January webinar here at Lexicon. And one of the facts that I came across was talking to the fact that COVID has obviously changed a million things. And I hate to start with COVID because I feel like we talk about it forever. But I think what it's really done from a positive standpoint, it's brought to light a lot of things that are working well at firms and aren't working well at firms from an operational standpoint. Um, and, and I know that's something very near and dear to you. So what are your thoughts on how has COVID really affected firms in discovering what, what things they need to do differently?
0: Well, I feel like before COVID, the flaws of the traditional model were becoming more and more apparent. Mm -hmm. I feel like COVID has acted as a blacklight of sorts. It's sort of highlighted what's not working in traditional firms and it's forced partners to consider doing things differently. So it's been a shakeup and and I feel like, you know, there's not a lot of uh, silver linings to COVID, unfortunately, but there are a few and I actually feel like this pandemic has forced a good thing to happen, which is that law firms have had to reconsider how they do things. Mm-hmm. And they're moving in a positive direction, I have found.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so, you know, some, some examples of that are that many firms were woefully behind in terms of their technology, something near and dear to you guys. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, suddenly overnight, people had to work from home. And that's something that many firms were fighting for years. Younger attorneys really wanted to work from home. And for whatever reason, their firms felt like they wouldn't be very productive. So COVID certainly changed things. And overnight, firms had to invest in a lot more technology and some infrastructure to make sure that their employees wouldn't lose any productivity while working from home. Mm -hmm. So that's one area that I think the legal space has really moved in the right direction on.
1: So from your perspective, you know, uh, it's always so nice to hear positive things coming out of the COVID pandemic, uh, because we talked about so many negative things. But you know, that that step that everybody took, you know, it was it was sort of like the word of the century, you know, woke, it woke them to really understand kind of where those flaws were, where they need to focus. Uh, Do you come in and assist in guiding them in that direction and how leaders can kind of encompass that merge or that new technology and help drive? How do you relate to that, you know, that shift in technology from a pandemic perspective?
0: So in my role at DRI, we our organization is all about supporting our attorneys in every way we can and helping them to grow their their practices um, and develop professionally. So We are always coming up with new programming that we can offer our members to help them to better run their practices, to improve their technology, to connect with others within their community so they can learn best practices from their peers. Um, and then also on, in, in my private practice, my consulting practice, I have many clients that I've helped sort of guide them. I'm, I'm far from a technology expert, but I know people like you guys that I can connect them with to help them um, to improve uh, efficiency and profitability, which, is, which are two things that small firms really struggle with, as you all know.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I'm actually curious, too, because you guys have so many clients at DRI, and obviously I think one of the biggest – Issues that have come across COVID, come from COVID, excuse me, is the fact that regardless of the industry, so many people are having to work from home and change their operations, change their cybersecurity processes, everything. I'm curious, what were there any other patterns or common common issues that a lot of your clients were coming across that maybe aren't as top of mind as working from home?
0: Well, there's the the traditional law firm model um, of the you know billable hour and having associates and non-equity partners and equity partners has been struggling. I would say these firms have been struggling for a while, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so one one example of that is many firms do still have the non-equity or junior partner model, which is typically you know you come in as an associate, you learn, you support. Um, and then you get a promotion of sorts, which is usually a bump up in salary as well as uh, a title. And, you know, you're, you're in name only a partner, but you don't necessarily sit at the partnership table. You don't have skin in the game. Um, and this is great for younger attorneys because it certainly can uh, boost their confidence, help to, them to position themselves better in the marketplace. However, it can be a big problem for the law firms because it it tends to um, draw on their profitability. And the reason for that usually is because it ends up being a parking lot. There's not a lot of incentive for these folks to go out and bring in business and grow the firm because of the way their compensation is structured. Mm. There's this expectation that, well, if you really want to get on the partnership track and buy in or become an equity partner, that's when you start building your book of business. But a lot of lawyers struggle with that for a number of reasons. Either they're not very confident in their leadership ability, they don't understand how business development works, or for whatever reason, they don't really care to build their business. They're sort of satisfied where they are, having an a X number of billable hours that's required of them and not necessarily growing their practice. So that can be a big problem for firms that have sort of a large number of people in this parking lot, if you will.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the things, you know, you talked about different levels within the organization. And I think one of the things we deal with a lot with our clients is that that age difference, too. You know, we work with a lot of solo to small firms and firms of all sizes, actually. But a lot of the firms in the U.S., you know, the majority are solo to small. And we see a lot that you have, you know, maybe a father that's been... He's had his firm for decades and he's getting close to retirement. And then he has his daughter or son that's coming in from college and is going to take over. And what we see a lot is just that rift between the two because, you know, this firm has been operating this way for decades. You know, maybe they file everything. Maybe they write everything down. Then you have someone straight out of college who's just like, dad, we adopt this technology. We do that. We even use Excel. And let me tell you how many more hours we can bill. And I'm sure it's a similar thing to what you just said within the organization from a role standpoint, but that age standpoint too, and the differences there. Oh,
1: yeah. You know, the younger generation are also those more kids used. kids these, yeah, these days, you know? Those kids these days. <laughs> Sound
2: old. So old, Brad.
1: Well, they're more used to working from home yeah. or even FaceTime, you know, whatever it is. And the, that, you know, COVID brought that up, that rift that you talk about. Yeah. It's really an interesting topic.
2: Yeah, I did have to teach my dad how to FaceTime for Christmas this year. Yeah, did it work was, out well? It did. And he, of course, he had like, you know, where they hold the phone a little bit too low so you just see from like their chin <laughs> up <laughs> the typical dad, but he figured it out quickly.
0: I was proud of him. I'll, I'll tell you something. It's interesting. We we tend to assume that millennials are very tech savvy and they're the ones who are really pushing all these changes. I happen to be a member of the Gen X and I can tell you that the, the younger half of Gen X um, are just as interested in a new way of working as our millennial counterparts. And by that, I mean, working from home, man, trying to, to achieve this work-life balance, whatever that happens to, to me. Greece, <laughs> tell right? me about that, one. <laughs> um, and not basically dying at your desk. Um, and this is a really different mindset from those who came before us. At that sort of dad mindset, if you will, or mom mindset. Mm -hmm. And, and the challenge is that you still have a lot of senior attorneys, very seasoned professionals who have been practicing for a very long time and really do not have any plan for retirement. And essentially their plan for retirement is to die at their desk. That is problematic for the firm on many, many levels. One is of course, you know, many times smaller firms, that person is the rainmaker And they may sort of own, if you will, 70% of the relationships with clients. Mm -hmm. And then they have an army of associates that support them. Well, if something happens to that person, there go the clients. That happens a lot more than you'd think. And the other thing is that there's not necessarily an incentive to pass the torch because of the way the compensation um, structure is set up. Mm -hmm. So it's not like... You know, they, they're, they're super incentive, incentivized to, to bring in the younger folks and bring in the associates and really bridge that gap and those build those relationships just because of where people's bread is buttered, if you will. So yeah. <laughs> uh, so these are just some examples of where, where some of the, the firms are struggling. And it's not just this country, it's actually all over the world. Yeah. Um, I've, I've spoken to law firms in many different countries and it's really the same story everywhere. So the firms that are quick to figure this out are going to be the ones that stick around the longest.
2: Yeah. Are you seeing, with with your clients, are you seeing a big difference when it comes to their goals from the older generation versus the younger generation?
0: It's interesting, that question, because what I find, believe it or not, is most attorneys I've come across actually don't have goals. Oh. oh, wow.
2: Besides maybe bringing more money or get home on time? I mean, they may have
0: goals, but they're goals that were imposed on them by someone else. So, th- so they're not necessarily saying, you know, I want to do this with my career or do this. It's usually some that they may want to make partners. So that could be a goal, right? Mm-hmm. But to get there, someone else says, well, you need to have X amount of dollars in your book of business, or you need to put this many hours in, or you need to take a leadership position on. Um, so I, I find that in, on the coaching side of things, what I do, uh, I spend a lot of time trying to get my clients to think more, you know, in terms of writing down their vision. What is their goal? And it's all about measuring um, how they get there and, and what they're doing to, towards their success. So um, I, I don't know that that goals are, are different or have changed much because I, I still think that there is this belief that, you know, you go to law school, you, you, you start to practice you become very good at what you do. You become more and more successful and success means that you make more money certainly, but you also build a book of business and you're very, you held in high high esteem by your peers in the community. Um, So I think that that is the same, but I think there's something that's a little bit different, which is the younger generation is more interested in having more of this work-life balance. And what that means for most people is you know, that they work very hard, but they have some flexibility in their schedule. So in other words, Mm -hmm. they may be able to be home for dinner, but after their kids are in bed, they go back to their desk and they work till one in the morning. And it's not, that they're still getting their billable hours done. It's just done in a different way, Mm -hmm. but because maybe they're less visible politically, it may hurt somebody's chances of becoming partner. Cause once upon a time, you know that was a huge factor.
2: Sure. Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So y- you talk about uh you know the older mindset if you will and the younger leader coming in, you know striving to be more, striving to be better. What advice do you have for that younger generation that younger leader to convince the more in place processes that are out there to say hey, we need to do things differently. You know, because a lot of times that the if you will, older generations that, you know, I've been successful at this for the last 15 years doing it exactly this way. So how, what advice do you have so they can convince that there is other ways to do it and different ways to look at things? Great
0: question. Data, data, and more data. (laughs) Music to your ears. Absolutely. Um, something that young professionals struggle with across the board, and it's not just in the legal space, it's certainly confidence, right? And a sense of their own value, because mm-hmm. it can be intimidating working with professionals who sell their brains for a living, who are very intelligent people, hard workers, and you come in and you feel like, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't been around that long. So you certainly have to have a sense of gravitas and you've got to gain the confidence and trust of your colleagues, right? Right. The best way to do that certainly is to research, come up with the information that are hard facts that they that you can share. But more importantly, you have to understand the motivation of the audience. So, in other words, you know if if you may have the greatest information in the world, but if you're sharing this information with people who are not open to it and not not open to change, which change is hard, are willing to accept the fact that change is inevitable,
1: mm-hmm.
0: then. you you may not
1: get anywhere. Miss the mark. Mm -hmm.
0: It's just as important to understand the motivation of those around you as it is, you know, your own motivation.
1: Kind of what's in it for them as well, as As well as yourself. Yep. Yep.
2: So, Wendy, when we started this conversation, we started talking about the state of the law firm model, what kind of inefficiencies COVID has brought to light, um, things like that. And I, I think it's a good time of the year to talk about that, because a lot of firms are starting their new fiscal. Not everybody's on the calendar year, but a lot of firms are. Yeah. And so I think it's the perfect time to really look at those inefficiencies and say, hey, what can we do now to fix those, to put ourselves in a better place for the rest of this year, et cetera. So uh, backing up a little bit, you know, now that you at your firm, you've you've determined kind of, what inefficiencies you have, what you could be doing better. How do you take that next step to figure out how to fix it and how to do things better? Or, you know, do you think there are certain areas that firms need to look at every single year, areas they need to evaluate, whether it's, you know, financial, culture, talent, things like that. What all are, what all, excuse me, are you evaluating at the beginning of the year um, that maybe isn't brought to light through COVID or, you know, things that are brought to light from COVID? How do you make an impact and change those moving forward? That's a very loaded question. I know. I was like, (laughs) I was talking. I was like, I got to cut this short and just start fresh. (laughs) I would say that law firms have
0: to think like businesses and any good business, any well run business understands that every year they have to religiously review everything they're doing, Mm -hmm. not necessarily to change things, but to measure success and failure, right? So they can learn that they're always in learning mode. So in that sense, law firms are no different. But the problem is that many, many law firms, like other professional firms, don't necessarily think like businesses. They think that they're different. But at the end of the day, they have to make payroll. So I think, you know, probably not surprisingly, I am a fan of certainly going outside and finding expert advice. Mm -hmm. Right something that you all do. And I do also certainly connecting with peers and finding out what they're doing and learning about best practices. And I just think that just like leaders need to always be in learning mode. I think that firms collectively need to be in learning mode and need to be very willing and ready to accept the fact that there are a lot of things that they maybe don't know or aren't doing very well, where they could improve. But at the same time, what they are doing well, they certainly should celebrate.
2: To piggyback on that, a lot of times we talk about internally, operationally, what you can do better, what you're doing well, what you can do better. But a couple episodes ago, we talked about branding too and marketing. And I think that is so overlooked at times too, because your firm could run like a well-oiled machine. Everything's great. You're bringing in tons of money. People have great work-life balance. But then there's also that branding piece, you know, Are you maybe you are bringing in the clients and the money that you desire, but if you're not too, I mean, look at your branding. That's something that's so commonly overlooked because that's kind of more on that business side. You know, firms think maybe it's not as relevant to them, but you have got to build your brand. Even if you are happy with the money that's coming in, with the amount of clients that are coming in, your brand is so important. And I think that's one of the things that's very commonly overlooked as well.
1: I think so, definitely. I think it's you're probably saying that because you're in marketing. I'm, I probably am. I feel am, like there's you know, a correlation close to my heart, there, but
2: <laughs> no, we've been and we talk a lot about internal operations and figuring out what's working, what mm-hmm. isn't working, because you know if if your foundation isn't right, then you're going to have problems regardless. But you know, just because you have that foundation fixed, there's still a lot that you can continue to improve upon. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely,
1: Wendy. I want to find out a little bit more about you. Um, so when you started off the conversation, you know, you talked about you just completed a book. It's very exciting. You talked about helping individuals grow. You talked about young leaders in the industry, all of those. Uh, what motivated you to get into this particular line of work and career?
0: So I, I am a survivor of the insurance business. I was in that <laughs> for a very long time, uh, over 20 years, Oh
1: wow! always
0: in a uh, marketing or business development or sales role. So um I rose up the ranks. I, I worked mostly for myself, or I should say work, started working for carriers, and I moved over and worked on the retail side, worked in my family business. So I was kind of giggling to myself when you were using the the father child. <laughs> <laughs> Two ge- different generations, definitely. Um really took over from my family business and ended up doing branding, marketing, business development, selling, operations, HR, like you name it. I did it. So mm-hmm. I Chief bottle washer, and I ended up taking over as CEO. And I loved what I was doing because of the experience, and I had so many different diverse clients that I would just Always position myself as a trusted advisor to them, and and learn from all of their different, you know, business models, mistakes, and successes. Um, and was successfully able to create a brand for myself and for my company in an area where I was not from. I was I'm not from Baltimore, and this is a very small town, so it was very difficult to create a footprint. But but I did so, and we did so. It's something I was really proud of. Um, and I found that. Much of my success was coming from the fact that I was networking with a lot of attorneys and building great trusted relationships with attorneys, where they would bring me in as you know, a partner with okay. their client. Right. Together, we'd, we'd, we'd work on managing risk, et cetera, which was terrific. Uh, so I got to learn a lot about the challenges that attorneys faced in terms of how they ran their business, how they grew their business. Um, and at some, at one point, I, I was loving what I was doing for a while, and then one day I just started to really hate what I was doing, oh. and I needed to. And that's for another podcast in a glass of. <laughs> <laughs> or you can read my book because it's in there too. But um, I, I decided that I needed to make a change, and um, what I was very successful at at the time was helping my friends and clients and colleagues and neighbors with business development strategy for free, unpaid, just because it was something I loved to do, mm-hmm. and lo and behold. I ended up making the millions of dollars. So I thought, gee, I wonder if I should monetize this. And I did. And I started, I I retired from my my insurance business. I sold my my book of business and I went full force into Strategy Horse, which initially was a business development strategy practice, coaching Mm -hmm. practice or consulting rather. And then it eventually morphed more into a combo of leadership and business development because you cannot... Be a rainmaker, a successful rainmaker, without leadership skills, and that's something that's so important. I think to the discussion of how do we make sure that these law firms are sustainable, um, because they don't teach you leadership in law school, right? It's something that you learn along the way, hopefully. So it became something that I'm, I'm very passionate about, and I was able to turn my passion into this, and. And here I am talking with you.
1: That's a fantastic story. It really is because you went through it all. You had the generational gap. You had the business. You've learned. Like you said, you did every aspect of the business. You know, you collected that information and you came to find out what you really enjoyed was helping others grow. And linking that leadership capability with that understanding of where they need to take and how to help themselves Merging those two together and wrote a book, business, everything else. That's a fantastic story. I love it.
2: Yeah, and I think it's awesome. And what you said, too, you know, you don't learn leadership in law school. And running a law firm, it is a business. It's a law firm, but it's a business, too. And we talk about this all the time. But there's so much that's dire to running a successful Mm -hmm. firm that you don't learn in law school. You know, you're not a professional marketer. You're not necessarily an accountant. You're not a leader, you know. Well, they'll tell
0: you, many lawyers will tell you you're also not a lawyer. Yeah, because oh <laughs> law. you're also doing those. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, tell you, they'll tell you that law school doesn't teach you how to practice law, that you actually learn on the job.
2: Hey, that's the best way to learn anything. It is. All. But yeah, and that's, that's what's so great about having somebody like you or other, you know, partners that can help just having such a broad background and filling in those places that maybe they aren't quite as strong and they need help. I mean, it makes all the difference in the world. I agree. Yeah. So, Wendy, we like to end each episode, you may know this, you may not, with three takeaways. So we like to go around the room, everybody kind of give their one thing. If you didn't listen to this entire episode, but could take three things home with you today, what would they be? So if you had to choose one thing, what would that be?
0: I think the it's it's absolutely critical that law firms start to think of themselves more as businesses mm-hmm. and be willing to recognize what they might be missing in terms of business acumen wisdom skills etc um and seek advice from those you know whether it's a partner like you guys or even connect really connected with any number of professionals to figure out how they can be better business people i think Mm -hmm. that's that's absolutely essential
2: yeah Brad, what about you? Ooh,
1: going second. Yes. So I'm going to break the rules, Wendy. I, I <laughs> took away two things that I want to oh, talk about. Okay. Not to ma- not notes. to make your job hor- or make your job more difficult, Lauren. But uh, there were two things. One, leadership. Leadership <laughs> is so important to have that skill something that you learn and grow in as you're making your way. It's something that's not taught in law school. It's something that you need to reach out, get assistance with, help to kind of cultivate that uh, mentality and grow. The second one is more just in general. I love what you said about being a trusted advisor. That is so important, whether it's with your customers, with your partners, whoever it is, if you can drive that mentality that you are there to help them, and be that trusted advisor. That's the relationship that you really, really, really want. And that's something I believe strongly in.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm glad you didn't take mine. <laughs> but um, and, and I wasn't going to say this is my takeaway. But when you answered my question, Wendy, about goals, it came top to mind because I find it really interesting when you said that a lot of lawyers don't necessarily have goals and I think they're so important one for yourself you know you have your personal growth goals how do you want to grow do you want to become partner do you want to move up do you want to learn this skill or whatnot but then you also have your firm goals and if your firm doesn't have goals whether they be internal goals external goals financial goals you don't really have anything to work towards and so when it comes time to start that new year every single year you're just kind of stagnant you know you're like okay we're doing good we, we did decent but you don't know if you're meeting that goal you don't know if you're you're reaching your full potential and what else is out there so I think definitely make sure that you're setting some sort of goal for yourself and for your firm couldn't agree more thanks <laughs> <laughs> well Wendy thank you so much for being on the show today we loved having you tons of great information and just very relatable
0: thank you so much it's been such a pleasure speaking with you guys
2: All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor, and we will talk to you next time.
1: Goodbye, everybody.
0: Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.